Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. Hallelujah. God's good, amen? So I, I want to share a couple of things with you before we jump in. Um, we had an awesome uh, time this weekend. So uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Rick and Jennifer Curry were in a terrible auto accident last Sunday night uh, on the way to a meeting in Ashland. Um, totaled their truck totally. Uh, I, I mean, just really, really a traumatic experience. They are okay physically. They have they they have sustained whiplash, and uh, you know have some some back issues. But other than that, they're they're okay. He reached out to me Sunday morning, and he had a a, a gathering happening in Eastern Kentucky this weekend, and asked me would Rebecca and I go and and help out uh, to facilitate that gathering, and so we did. And the the gathering it, it's called a, an awakening mosaic, and what what Rick has done he he's he's really gotten vision from the Lord on how to unite Kentucky for one cause for revival and awakening and and you know sometimes in 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 louisville whether you all know this or not and and you probably do but whether you know it or not sometimes louisville is separated from the state of kentucky it's like you've got louisville and then you've got the whole other state and it's it's a little different so sometimes we don't we don't necessarily hear or know what's going on and so what mosaic is doing is is it's bringing a place of connection for leaders um and and we're not talking about pastors, we're talking about leaders, to come together and build a structure that would house revival for the rest of their lives. Does that sound familiar at all? Are you here? <laughs> anyway, so, so that's, that's happening throughout the state of Kentucky. And so we were in Lomansville, Kentucky. How many of you have ever been to Lomansville? How many of you ever heard of Lomansville? Yeah, you can't get there. You, yeah, David has. He was probably born just a few few miles from there. <laughs> I think, uh, well, your family is from Fleming Neon. Is that right? Yeah. How many of you have heard of Neon, Kentucky? Never heard of it, right? See what I'm talking about? Louisville, Kentucky. It's, 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 it's interesting. So anyway, uh, Lomansville is in eastern Kentucky, uh, we actually stayed in Paintsville, Kentucky. You, you may have heard of that, close to Pike County. Pike County is the largest county in Kentucky. And so we had this gathering, and it was amazing to me. As I pulled in to the church, beautiful church. I mean, beautiful church, done very well. But the driveway, it, it just amazed me. I, I told Rebecca, I said, you know, we get spoiled as city folk because we're like, man, the driveway's got to be good. It's got to be blacktopped, and everything's got to look perfect. I'm talking about you went down a gravel road where there should have been a bridge and there was not and turned onto more gravel and then they asked you to park up on a hill of grass so that other there would be enough parking for the place. I'm talking about we were in the sticks and the place was packed. I'm talking about packed out. And it's uh, bigger than this, way bigger than this. And, and so anyway, we, we had a time where, where people from all over the region of eastern Kentucky were coming together rejoicing and and uh just declaring what the lord is doing and um we were able to share what was on our hearts for for kentucky and um you know we, we talked about the stuff that we're talking about here rebuilding the wall of prayer and and so uh, it was an amazing meeting it was an amazing meeting so i say all that to say um it, it sometimes we don't understand what's happening throughout kentucky and there are pockets of revival so 
the Paris Revival is going into its 18th week. There's another thing that's springing up over in Paducah on the western side of the state that, that, that's happening. And, and just re, re, reports of revival that, that are taking place all over Kentucky. And here's what I've set myself to do. I've set myself to practice what I preach. And I'm going to go blow wind on all of those meetings until I see it happening right here in Louisville. I'm going to support it, right? And so I want to encourage you to do that and to, to pray and, and to just um, ask the Lord to, to give you wisdom and revelation concerning what's happening um, just throughout the state of Kentucky. God has his eye on Kentucky, and we're believing that all of Kentucky is going to be ablaze for the fire of God. Amen? Amen. Yeah, so we had a great time this weekend. It was, it was awesome. Also, I just want to uh, just continue to update you. We are still working in negotiations to uh, get to the building that, that we, we talked about over on Taylorsville Road. That is our plan, and that's what we're going after, okay? So I just want you to know we're still working through all of that, and, and we're going to keep you posted. And there's really not been any change in that other than we continue to work and do what we have to do. So just know that everything is all good. And we'll be worshiping somewhere on the 21st, okay? And it, it, it's going to be good. And our plan is to make it at Melbourne Heights. That, that is our plan. So we'll, 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 we'll make that happen as we continue to go. So I'm asking you to pray for that. I'm asking you to pray that, that, that God would just give us wisdom and revelation in, in all of that and that everything would be done according to his purpose. Amen? Amen. Everybody good? You had a good week? Give me a nod. No? It was a week from hell? Yeah, I, I didn't tell you the rest. The, listen, the enemy, when you, when you start doing things, the enemy really does take notice, okay? So we need to, we have pledged ourselves to be connected with Rick and Jennifer, so we need to lift them up in prayer. The previous week uh, leading up to the wreck, he lost his wallet. Their camper where they're staying for the revival was infested with fire ants. As soon as they got that done, there was a leak that sprung in their camper right over their bed. And then the, the, the wreck. So, so obviously the, the enemy is, is, is going after him. But we know that we win, and, and so we're lifting them up and, and, and praying for them. So just do that and understand that, that when you do something, um, you know, the enemy takes notice. And that's okay because he's defeated, right? And we're not afraid of a defeated enemy, right? Amen. Amen. So I want, I want to talk to you today about a scripture that I, I, I absolutely love. Um. I love this scripture because it's such a wake-up call for leaders, and I'm really going to talk to you today uh, like, like, you're, like everyone in here is leaders, because you are. If you have any form of influence, you're a leader, and so that, I'm, I'm going to talk to you like that today. So uh, I'm, I'm going to connect to what we've been talking about with Nehemiah and rebuilding the wall, uh, but we're going to go from a little different aspect and, and talk about prayer a little bit. First Samuel chapter 13. First Samuel chapter 13. Verse 16 through 22. <clears throat> let, me, let me tell you one more story from this weekend. So the, the platform at this place is probably, I don't know, it's probably about that tall. Okay. Huge. I mean, it's, it's big. And they had some monitors up front. And just to this side of the monitor was a pair of shoes that were left right there. And I thought, what in the world? What, why do they have shoes up there? And I knew they had some meaning, but I didn't know what it was. And then I met the pastor's dad, and the pastor's dad lost both of his legs about 32 years ago in a coal mining accident. 
and he has prosthetic legs. But he put his shoes right there because he's believing God for a creative miracle. And so every time they come together, they look at those shoes, and he's been praying for the Lord to restore his legs. Wouldn't you love to have some faith like that to put it right right there? That's amazing. And he's he, he is, listen, if you all think that, that Papa is loud when he says, well, uh, this I, I finally found your match, man. This guy is, yeah, he, he sits right here. And when you preach, I mean, you could be saying ABC, and I mean not saying anything, and if he's with you, you feel like you'd go into hell with a water gun, seriously. I mean, he's right there. He yelled at one of the preachers one time. He said, bear down, while he was preaching. Yeah, it, it was amazing. It really was. And no matter who had the mic, no matter who had the mic, the ladies, Rebecca was speaking, come on, girl, come on, girl. I mean, he was with you. And, and I found out that his shoes are right there, believe. So we're praying that his feet and his legs are restored because that's what he's believing for. Amen? Amen. Bear down. Hallelujah. Yeah, it, it was awesome. First Samuel chapter 13. So, so just a little context before I jump into this. Uh, Saul is the leader. Just prior to what I'm reading, Saul disobeyed the Lord again, and he was waiting on Samuel to come and offer burnt offerings, and he took it upon himself because Samuel didn't come when he wanted to. He took it upon himself to go ahead and do the work that he thought Samuel needed to do, and so he offered sacrifices, and that's really good, and I'm not going to preach on that, but he took it upon himself to do the work that the Lord had ordained for Samuel to do. And so he's disobeyed the Lord, and they find themselves in this fight with the Philistines, okay? And um, so, so that's, that's kind of where we are. Samuel has just come and told him, God's found a man after his own heart. Your kingdom's going to be taken from you, and now you got to go fight the Philistines, okay? So this is where we are. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 16 through 22, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you guys are with me back there, I think we got that. Saul and Jonathan and the troops with them were staying at Geba in the land of Benjamin. The Philistines set up their camp at Michmash. Three raiding parties soon left the camp of the Philistines. One went north toward Ophrah in the land of Shual. Another went west to Beth Horon. And the third moved toward the border above the valley of Zeboim near the wilderness. This is where I really want you to listen. There were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. So whenever the Israelites needed to sharpen their plowshares, picks, axes, or sickles, they had to take them to a Philistine blacksmith. The charges were as follows, a quarter of an ounce of silver for sharpening a plowshare or a pick, and an eighth of an ounce for sharpening an axe, a sickle, or an ox goad. So on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or spear except Saul and Jonathan. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you're doing. We love you. We trust you. And we're asking that the power of the Holy Spirit would come in to this place and transform our hearts. Let us hear exactly what it is you want us to hear God, but more than that, let us do what you want us to do in Jesus' name. Amen. 
this is a really, really interesting story. And Saul, as I, as I mentioned to you, has already disobeyed. And they find themselves having to fight. And nobody has a sword or a spear except for Saul and Jonathan. As a matter of fact, they can't have anything that has an edge because the Philistines have taken over that realm of business. There's nothing that can be sharpened by the children of Israel unless they take it to the enemy, the Philistines. One of the things that I really want us to hear today is that it is imperative that we do not allow the enemy to be the one who determines the sharpness of our edge. There are no blacksmiths in the land of Israel because a blacksmith is a hot, dirty job. You understand what a blacksmith does. He stays in a hot, dirty place, pounding out an edge in order to make it sharp so that it can be used, whether in battle or in harvest, whatever it may be, the blacksmith is the one who determines whether or not the tool that is in their hand has an edge that is sharp enough to accomplish something. And one of the things that the enemy wants to do is he wants to see a generation. He wants to see a company of people where there are no blacksmiths. There are not people who are willing to stay in a dark, dirty place to reproduce something for the day of battle. This is interesting to me. It's, it's a contrast of leadership, and I'll get into this a little bit. We've been talking about Nehemiah, and we've been talking about him rebuilding the wall of prayer. And listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. There are times where it's not fun to talk about prayer. It's not fun to talk about it all the time. We have to do it, and we have to be praying. But you know why it's not fun to talk about it? Because we like to make excuses as to why we don't do it. And then we get responses like that all the time, like, because we make up reasons why we don't really engage in prayer. We make up reasons why we don't really do the things that we're supposed to do. And I fear that we have a generation in the church that has allowed the enemy to determine the sharpness of their edge. I f I'm not just talking about this church. I fear that we have a generation in the church at large that has allowed the enemy to determine how sharp they can be in regard to what they're doing to advance the kingdom. I wonder, I wonder, is there a place, is there a people who really would be willing to stay in a hot, dirty place in order that the generations coming after you could be different? I really wonder about that. We, we, we live in a place and we live in a, in a, in a culture where, where everything is right now and it, it's, 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 it's immediate. And, if, you know, we got to have the fastest Internet. we got to have the, the – we go through the drive-thru and it's got to be pay, get my food, go. It's, it, you know, we, we scroll on these social media sites and we see portions of, of stories and we see pictures and it's just so fast. Everything is so fast. And we've adapted our culture to that that sometimes I think we bring it into the church. And if we come in and we don't feel the goosebumps immediately or we don't do this then we shut down and, and and it's almost like we get bored with worship and we're looking around like how how long is this going to take and we get bored with prayer and we get we get bored hearing about a life of devotion and we get bored hearing about man maybe we could do this that or the other and and all because we're allowing the enemy to determine how sharp we're going to be 
When we live our lives based on the movement of the culture and we take our cues from the corrupt culture, we have given them permission to set our edge. When you take your cues from the culture, when you say, well, I don't want to do that because I want to be normal, you're taking your cue from a culture that is corrupt and ever-changing, and you're allowing them to set the edge. Imagine this. The children of Israel are farming their land. They want to get a harvest. But instead of being able to go to people of like mind and like DNA to get a tool that could allow them to get the harvest, they have to go to the enemy. Can you imagine? Can you imagine us doing that? But I look all over the country and I look all over the place and we're trying to compete with what the world is doing and we're trying to compete with, with their ideologies and we're trying to compete even with, 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 with their lights. And, and listen, I'm not preaching against that stuff. I love that stuff. I love lights and, and wherever we go, I, have, I hope we have a bunch of them. I hope they turn. I hope they move. I hope they do all this stuff. But, but that's not what's saving people. And so what we do is we try to compete with people. We don't have near the money that the world has. We don't have near the, the, the ingenuity that they have because they were gifted to do that. They're just not in a place of redemption right now. So so what we want to do is we want to look to them and then we want to come in and we're going to say, okay, well, we're going to do this and we're going to, be, we're going to make it to where if we look like the world, then they'll want to come in and be a part of us. Are you kidding me? That's what was happening. That's what was happening. If I, if I, if I want to go and, and get the harvest, I've got to go to the Philistines and have my tools sharpened. God forbid we have a weapon where we could actually fight because then I've got to go get that from the Philistines. Do you think they were giving them swords and spears? No, we find out that they're not. And there's no blacksmith in Israel. There's nobody who is willing to pay a price in a hot and a dirty place to prepare something so that a generation could be equipped. This is why we have to rebuild the wall of prayer. This is why we have to decide in our hearts that we are a people of prayer. I want to give you a visual, and I'm going to do some. I, I, you all know I've already said it from the beginning. I'm an avid football fan. Actually, today I feel like I'm in my coach's gear. If I was coming to your house to recruit you, I would probably, you know, wear something like this and talk about how awesome Kentucky is and, and try to get you to come, okay? So you know I love it. So will you indulge me and let me just break down a football play to show you what I'm talking about, setting the edge. It's another perspective that, that, that's going to help you. Kim, are you Okay. All right, I'm going to take some time, and I need volunteers. I need, I need Timmy, Chad, Ryan, Ezra, Noah, Brady. Come here. No, I don't mean. All right. Listen, and since I'm holding the mic, and I never got to do this, I'm going to be the tailback, so I'm the one carrying the ball. I was, I, Listen, I used to beg my coach, let me just run it one time. He's like, get down and block. That's what you do. I was like, all right, okay, okay. All right. So I'm going to let Brady be the quarterback. Noah, you're going to be the center. Look at him. Look at Noah. He's a football guy. Look, he's already assuming the position. I'll blow my whistle and make you do up-downs right now, boy. Right here. Come here, be the center. Come here, be the center. Come here. You're going to be a guard right here. Chad, you're going to be a linebacker on that side. Come here, you're going to be a guard right here. You're going to be the nose guard. Right there, right there. All right, get right in front of Noah. All right, now, back up just a little bit. Back up just a little bit, guys. Back up just a little bit. Okay, look, Timmy, Ezra, and Noah. This is what I want you to do right here. Hands on your knees, just like this. Bend your knees, hands on your knees. Bend your knees. 
told you. The old football coach is coming out. All right, stay right there, okay? Now, this is the quarterback, okay? One of my favorite plays in high school, and this is where I always played. I was the center. I was Andre, too. I was on. Look, I would line up, and I would tell the guy in front of me about it, hey, we're running right here, and you ain't going to stop it. I really would. I would tell him. I was Andre. I know y'all can't believe that. But one of my favorite plays was the quarterback would get the ball, and we don't have a whole lot of room. Quarterback would get the ball, turn around, and hand it to the tailback, okay? Yeah, this way. Come on, son. I taught you better than that. <laughs> take, take the ball, okay? And then he would go through this gap right here, and you're, you're going to have to just uh, believe with me that there's a, a, an offensive tackle on the tight end, but we're going we're to close it in, okay? But the play only worked after your quarterback. You're going to be full back. No, give me somebody else. Give me Charlie, come here. That's who I want blocking for me. Good night. All right, now y'all can step up. I'll move the pulpit. Step up just a little bit. Give us a little room. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Right here. Right here. Okay. Now, I'm going to be behind Charlie the tailback. Fullback is blocking for the tailback. You understand that? The line is blocking for all of us. The quarterback gets the ball first. I mean, I'm, I'm giving y'all football 101. We got a nose guard that he's going to move to whichever way these guys step their foot. That's what they're looking at, okay? They're not looking at faces. They're not looking at anything. They're looking at where these guys step to block, and they're stepping to fill that gap, okay? You with me? We're talking about setting an edge. This is different. I'm not talking about metal, but you're going to get the picture. The linebacker is watching where this guy steps, and he's racing to the ball, wherever the ball is. The lineman, he's trying to just cause a mess up front. Now, luckily, if he gets there, that's good. But if he doesn't, he's really setting it up so that Chad, the linebacker, can get to the ball and tackle, okay? Y'all going to watch the football with a whole different perspective. What we're doing, Brady's going to get here. Charlie is going to go right here. Just walk with me. He's going to come right here, okay? What Ezra's going to do is he's going to step with that foot down, and Charlie's going to come here. Now look what we've done. We've walled in Ryan, and now Chad's coming, but Charlie is coming right here, right? This is called, this is called, yeah. This is called setting the edge. This is called setting the edge. And what happens is if one of these guys missed their block, the ball carrier, which is me, who's coming to this block and cutting off this block, the ball carrier is now vulnerable because the edge has not been set. If any one of these missed their block, and if these guys on the backside miss their block, people are fast enough to run around behind and get to the ball carrier. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in order, I feel this, in order for the ball to advance, look, He's engaged in a block. These two have double teamed him, and they're engaged in a block. Brady has handed me the ball, and the edge has been set, and I'm going down the sideline faster than you ever imagined. I'm talking about in my imagination, I am so fast. I mean, as I'm talking right now, in about three seconds, I'm in the end zone. Boom! Touchdown. Yes, I love it. But what I want you to understand is that none of this happens 
if the edge is not set. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine if we run this offensive play, but we were to say, hey, guys, which way would you like us to go? And you help us set the edge <laughs> as to how we're going to block. Can you imagine that kind of strategy? Defense, I need you to come and set the edge and tell me which way you want to go. They're going to say, okay, here's what I need you to do. I need everyone here just to take a step that way, right? And then they're out of the way, and look what I'm running right into. I mean, I'll run them straight over, but, but right here, right here is what I would be missing. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. So they've stepped that way, and now I've got the ball, and look what I've done. I've run right in to the hand of the enemy because they never set the edge. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Thanks, guys. Good job. What I should have done is had Timmy pull, and then I'd had another blocker on that end. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Could you imagine how ridiculous it would be for me to go to the defense and say, hey, tell me how you want me to run the ball and how to set the edge. But it's what we do. It's what we do. We allow the culture. We allow what's happening, what the enemy is doing to set our edge and determine our effectiveness. Because ultimately, that's what he's doing. He's setting the edge, determining how sharp we can be, determining what our effectiveness would be. And it's all because we've not been willing to stay in a place of prayer. Now, listen. I'm not talking about rules. I'm not talking about, about you know, you, you, you have to do this for an hour a day. No, I've spent five years talking to Awakening about it being a love relationship. You don't have to beg me to get up and spend time with my wife because I'm madly in love. And it's the same with Jesus. We shouldn't have to beg people to spend time you say, well, I do pray and I do. Yeah, but I'm telling you, there are gaps. There are gaps. I can sense it. I can see it. I can see what the Lord is doing. And right now, he's trying to give us strategy. He's trying to talk to us and say, hey, listen, make these adjustments so that you shore up the gaps, so that we can hang gates, so that give us access on the inside of something. See, when the enemy controls the edge, when he sets the edge, he controls the harvest. He controls how much harvest can come in when the enemy sets the edge. When the enemy sets the edge, he controls passion. If you find yourself coming into worship services and you're bored and you don't know how to engage, I'm trying to wake you up and tell you, you have allowed the enemy to set the edge. You've allowed him to be the determining factor. He controls your passion. He tells you, you can do this and you can do that. Oh, you don't feel good. Oh, you're tired. Yeah, we all are. But I'm telling you, he is worth more than what we feel. And it is more than coming in and giving our flesh that much place. It's more. If you find yourself doing the same thing over and over and over again and not getting anywhere, you have allowed the enemy to set the edge. You've allowed him to determine what's going on. When he sets the edge, he controls your finances. When he sets the edge because he's controlling harvest, so now you can't buy and sell the way that you want to. You can't do the things that you want to. You can't give the way that you want to because you've allowed him to set the edge. 
There were no blacksmiths in Israel. There was nobody who was willing to stay in a place and pound out an edge so that a generation could be different. You don't want your kids doing the same thing that you've done. You don't want them to have to endure the same stuff. I know that you don't, and that's what Nehemiah was doing. He was saying, I've watched them for 70 years try to build this wall, and they've done nothing with it, and here we are. I have tended the king well. We have a people who are willing to come together. Let's go build this thing and rebuild the wall. What if Nehemiah had no access to tools? What if he had no access to weapons? When the enemy controls the edge, he controls what roots are cut. One of the tools that we just read about was an axe. They had to get their axe sharpened by the enemy, which meant that they could not on their own go and cut the roots that have gone down deep. Roots of hurt, maybe roots of infidelity, I don't know, roots of abuse, roots of all of these things that we have justified for so many years. When we allow them to continue to grow down, we're giving the enemy control of the edge. We learn to live and we learn to justify it. We learn to justify it. Oh, it's so sad to get around someone who is stuck in a cycle of hurt, who is stuck in a cycle of behavior that is detrimental to them, and to listen to them justify it to an end with passion. It's because they've allowed the enemy to set the edge. There were no blacksmiths in Israel. They had to go to the Philistines to have everything sharpened. Now let's talk about leaders. Possibly the saddest part of this story is that on the day of the battle, when weapons were needed, the only people that had a weapon were Saul and Jonathan. the leaders. There'd been no reproduction. There'd been no one who had stayed in that place to equip a company to do what they're supposed to do. What did that mean? It meant their children were at risk. It meant their farms were at risk. It meant that their livelihood was at risk because there were no blacksmiths in the land seemingly insignificant right who grows up and says hey i want to be a blacksmith isn't it interesting that the philistines didn't go after the ones who could make governmental decisions isn't it interesting that the philistines didn't even go after the warriors they didn't go after the king but they went after the one who had the ability to reproduce something. They went after the one who had the ability to create weapons for all of the other people that I talked about. Because they're ineffective. It doesn't matter how good you are with a sword if you don't have one. It doesn't matter how good you are in a garden if you don't have tools to get a harvest. 
It doesn't matter how good of an evangelist you are if you don't have an edge. It doesn't matter how good of a preacher you are if you don't have a sword in your hand. It doesn't matter what you are if you don't have the weapon. And the Philistines knew that. And they said, you know what? I'm going after the one who can give them the ability to do it. And that's what I'm talking about. He's attacked the church and we've lost our voice in America because we have allowed the enemy to set our edge. And we wanted to look enough like his junk, thinking that his people would come and want to be a part of that. No, we have to pay a price in a place of prayer that we come out looking like the very thing that they need. And that is the son of God. They don't need our gifts. They don't need our programs. They don't even need our time. They need Jesus. He's gone into churches all over America and said, I'm going to set the edge. You're too busy to do anything. You're too busy to do anything other than your Sunday morning duty. You're too busy. You, you can't do it. I'm, I'm controlling what you can do. I'm controlling. I'm controlling the importance of it. I'm controlling the importance of listen, you're not you're not listening to a guy who 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 is up here saying you gotta be at every church service. No, I'm not gonna be at every church service. I'm gonna hang out with my family, I'm gonna go on vacation, but you know what I'm gonna do? I'm not just gonna get my edge sharpened on Sunday morning. And what the enemy is doing. He raised up a whole generation, guys. Do you understand that? The the, the idea of of of, of the the the, the the entertainment pastor and the entertainment worship leader and we have to go get a word from them and we can't do anything for our own if we don't get it from them. It's Saul and Jonathan. They're the only ones who had a sword on the day of battle. In contrast, Nehemiah made sure that every person had a sword and every person had a tool and they were going to work and they were going to fight and they were going to do whatever they needed to do to rebuild the wall of prayer. If the gaps in the wall, if the gaps in your wall are not filled in, the enemy is coming after your family. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And we cannot allow the enemy to set the sharpness of our edge. A prayer culture is such that as governmental representatives, we determine the effectiveness of our tools. We determine the effectiveness of our tools. A prayer culture empowers ordinary men and women like you and I to position us as people who are willing to stay in a place of prayer and worship until everyone in the company has a weapon to fight with. The weapon is prayer. I'm determined to make sure that my children know how to call on the name of the Lord and not just come to dad. I'm determined to make sure that your children know how to call on the name of the Lord and not just come to mom and dad and not just wait until we come into our celebration service to get a word from the Lord, but that they live their life from that place. What does it look like? What does it look like if we allow 
the enemy to set the edge in regard to this scripture. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. What happens if we allow the enemy to set the edge? We refuse to trust. We refuse to be vulnerable. We refuse to connect with people who are different than us because we allow the enemy to set the edge when it comes to iron, sharpening iron. If that one doesn't get you, what about this one? What do we do if the enemy controls the edge with this scripture, Psalm 127.4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. What do you do if you allow the enemy to set the edge with your arrows? What do you do? I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you today that we must learn from this and we must become a company that is willing to pay a price for future generations. We must become a company that is willing to fight with everything we have against normal. The enemy came after the blacksmith. Ryan, why are you talking about that to us? Because I know what's in here. And I know what you have the ability to carry. And some of you are doing all that you can, but let's just be honest. Some of you are just going through motions. And we're not called Awakening Church for nothing. And it is my duty and responsibility not to be the one that always gives you a word, but to equip you so that you can set the edge. And so I'm asking today, can you hear? Can you hear from the love of the Father that we cannot afford to go through motions? We cannot afford to set what our idea of normal is and think that that's what we're going to do and and we're going to change the world. And some of us are just comfortable doing it. Let's just be real. Some of us are saying, I just don't know if I want to do that. I just don't know if I want to. And I understand that. But I want to raise up a body of believers that are willing to stay in there and hammer out an edge until you get your want to back. That will hammer out an edge and say, you know what? I'm not going to let you do this to your family. I'm not going to let you do this to your friends. I'm not going to let you continue to go through the motions. I'm not going to let you raise your kids in that kind of environment because you know what the Lord has called you to do. And I'm telling you, I believe God is going to begin to raise up mothers and fathers out of this house that are willing to stay in that hot, dirty place that says, I'll stay whatever I have to do. I'm going to keep hammering out this edge. Whatever I have to do, I'm going to keep hammering it out until we see Louisville become what you have destined for it to become are you willing are you willing are you willing to say yes or are you so comfortable that you just want to go through the motions I hear I hear the prophet Isaiah I hear him saying arise and sit down 
Reposition yourself. I hear him saying, reposition yourself because there's something that has to be done. Reposition yourself. Get out of the confines of normal. Get out of the the hypnotism of what normal has caused us to be. And let's stop being fearful of a defeated enemy. Let's remember the Lord who is great and glorious. And let's fight for our family. Let's fight for our family. You understand the blacksmith has no excuse. The blacksmith has no excuse. If he hammers out that edge and it's not sharp, he has no excuse. He can't blame it on bad metal. He can't blame it on I didn't have enough heat because that tool has to be able to work. And some of us have to be willing to be the one that gets hammered on. Some of us have to be willing to be the one that feels the heat at an uncomfortable temperature to get off some of the dullness and some of the things that we've allowed to keep us in that place without an edge. I don't want to run with a company that's waiting for me to give you the answer to everything. I want to run with a company of blacksmiths that are willing to get in that place and hammer it out until the edge is set according to what the Lord has told you. Listen, you have dreams and visions that the Lord has given you. Every person in here, you have dreams and visions that the Lord has given you. And some of them have not come to pass. How many of you would say yes to that? I'm with you. Some of them have not come to pass, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's coming. It's coming. Are you willing to knock the dullness off? Are you willing to knock the rust off? Are you willing to get in a place that's hot enough to shape you into what you need to be in the hand of the Father? Are you willing to get into that place? to rebuild the wall. What good is it if we stand on the wall and our tools and our weapons aren't sharp? Have you ever had that dream where something's happening and you've got a gun in your hand and you shoot it and it won't do anything? Anybody ever had a dream like that? I have. I've had a dream. Most of the time I'm deer hunting in the dream. And, I mean, this is the biggest deer right out in front of me. And I pull the trigger and nothing. And in my dream, I'm like, well, maybe I can just throw the gun at him. Right? Seriously, I've had a recurring dream like that. As a matter of fact, I've had a recurring dream like that with my father in it. I don't know the full understanding. I don't know if it's tied to an old system that, that wouldn't work. But here's the deal. A few, few months ago, guess what kind of dream I had? I had a dream. I had a gun in my hand. And it wasn't a deer this time. It was an elk. And that gun fired. That gun fired and that elk fell. Because I believe the Lord was trying to say to me, you're not going to continue in the same cycle. You're not going to continue 
in the same thing. But I'm going to give you power and I'm going to give you strength. And what you thought you were taking as harvest is going to be so small in comparison to what I really want to give you. Come on, man. I'm not going to let the enemy set my edge. I'm not going to let him set my edge. And I'm going to do everything I can and every ability that I have to not let him set the edge for you either. But you have to be willing to engage. You have to be willing to engage. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you this with love, and I'm telling it to shake you. You have to stop doing the same things over and over again if you expect something to change. Do you understand that? You have to stop. You, you, you can't continue. I, I, there's no chance that I could run that same play over and over again and the defense not pick up on it. You understand what I'm saying? That's why we have the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the prophetic because he releases strategies to us to, to, to shake us up and to do things that are different than what we've been doing the whole time. Guys, I want us to have the sharpest edge of any company, but we have to be willing to engage in that. We have to be willing to engage in that and rebuild the walls that have gaps in them. I don't want, I don't, I don't want the Lord to look at us like he did in Ezekiel chapter 22 and say, I sought for a man to build a wall and to fill in the gaps, and I could find none. I refuse to do that. I refuse to be that people. And he's calling us, and here's what I believe. Here's what I believe prophetically. I believe that the transition that we're engaging with our building, I've heard it from multiple prophetic people. I believe that the transition that we're engaging is not going to just affect awakening, but it's going to affect the city. That strategically, he is going to make adjustments in the city because of where awakening is going, because he has positioned us in this place. But we have to be the ones that are willing to stay in the place that keeps our edge sharp. Are you with me today? Can, can you hear this today? Wow. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us at 1725 Research Drive in Louisville, Kentucky, or online at awakeningky.com.